Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Philippians chapter 2 is where we are this morning. Philippians chapter 2 and Last week, we just rejoiced in the suffering servant, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 53 and how Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus. But if you go back further than Isaiah, centuries before, Moses prophesied about the coming prophet. Isaiah focused on the suffering servant, but listen to what Moses said before he died. He said, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, like me from among you, from your brothers. But then Moses gave this qualification and he said, you know, paraphrase here, let's try something different when he comes than what you did with me. He will come as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when he arrives, try this out, children of Israel. It is to him you shall listen. Tune your ear to him. Listen to him to obey him. Well, Paul the apostle, before he was Paul the apostle, was Saul of Tarsus, and he hated Jesus. And he was disobedient. He thought he was loving Moses, but he was disobedient to Moses, and he was pursuing anyone he could to chase them down and arrest them and put them to death if he was able to. He hated Jesus until he met Jesus. He met the resurrected Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, on the road to Damascus, and his life was changed forever. And then he went everywhere preaching this gospel. And one of the places that he went to was a town named Philippi, an outpost in the Roman Empire. And when he went into that city, everybody in that city would have said, Caesar is Lord. And they had gods everywhere. Idolatry was proliferant everywhere. And in came Paul and a missionary team saying, have you heard about Jesus of Nazareth that lived the life you can never live and died the death that you and I deserve to die? And then he rose to life again and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he's coming again. And he, he deserves your life. And people bowed to him and people surrendered to him. And now he's writing this letter and he's writing from prison. He's not on a vacation. He's not out, you know, at the, at the seashore, uh, the waves just lapping up on the shore while he basks in the sun and writes of all the wonderful things. He's in prison. Not because he did anything wrong, because he told people, hey, mostly the children of Israel, they had it in their own Bibles, Deuteronomy 18, 15, listen to Jesus and they said, crucify him. They didn't listen to him. They didn't love him. And now Paul loves him, and now Paul loves this church. And so we saw a few weeks ago that there was a pastoral plea for unity in the chapter 2 of Philippians. That in the first verse, we see Paul is calling them, and he's saying, I, I want you to be unified. I want you to be united. So he says you need to perform a spiritual evaluation. Consider all that you've been given in Christ. And then Stephen took the 2 through 4, and he said, understand the apostles' expectation here. 
what he has for the people because of all that he has done for you, then embrace the privileges and responsibilities that come with being a child of God. And he wrote to them and he loved them. There in your Bibles, Philippians 2, we're going to begin today at verse 5. And we're going to pick up from where Paul comes out of this expectation that he has for these believers. And there's a little bit of division going on in the church. And people, especially a couple ladies, they're not getting along. You know, they, they finish singing the chorus and then they look over and like, there she is. And I don't like you. And I don't like you either. And whatever's going on. And Paul's writing to them. Philippians chapter 2. Follow along with me there in your Bibles, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess, read it with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, amen. So now Paul is moving into the highest pattern of humility. So he's calling for unity, and we talked about if you're part of a, of a marching band and everybody's eye, if you're part of an orchestra, everyone's eye is to be on the conductor. Everyone is to be in tune with that one person. And that's how this whole massive symphony will be in unison as everybody has their eye on the same leader. So this is what Paul is saying. I want you as a church to be united. I want you to be unified. I want you to have the harmony that comes in it, but I want you to be one. So we looked at two weeks ago the supreme example, and this is where our focus would be, to fix our minds upon the person and the passion of Jesus Christ. And that, loved ones, when Christ captivates our hearts and minds, then everything about our lives change. We respond in wonder. We respond in worship. We, res we respond in willing obedience. What do you have for me, Lord? Because our hearts have been changed. This isn't religion from the outside in. Do this, don't do that. Look this way, don't look that way. Uh, these are all the things and go through these motions and nothing's changed inside. And now we're just miserable because we've, we've covered it all up with, with paint, but there's still black mold. That didn't help anything. It didn't solve anything. It actually made it worse because now we know I'm just being a hypocrite. I'm just lying. And now he brings us in verses 9 through 11. If we're going to be humble before the Lord and we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we can exult in Christ's exaltation. We can glory in Christ's exaltation. We can boast in this. This is where it's not vainglory. It's not empty praise. We're not wasting our time to lift our voices and praise the Lamb of God. We can say, we're with him. He's glorious, and we're in him. And therefore, this is glorious what God is doing. 
This is the reality of the life of a believer. And this is what then produces, we don't have to work this up. We don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to fake it. You know, the fake it till you make it. That's not Christian. This is God producing unity, humility, and the whole title of our series, Unbreakable Joy. And right now I'm, I'm looking at faces of people and you have gone through very difficult the last days, weeks, months, and years all over this room and no doubt online as well today. There's just not hardly a day that goes by that isn't someone else is dealing with deep, great heartbreak. And Paul, this is what is so helpful. He's not writing from a pinnacle. He's writing from a prison. And he's writing to people saying, here, there's not a limited supply for you. I haven't exhausted it. I haven't used it all up. There's joy and hope and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And it's for you. And we can take that message everywhere we go and we don't have to be fake and tell people we're doing fine when we're just totally falling apart. We can just be honest and we can be authentic and we don't have to worry about what will people think about me. Who cares? God knows me, everything about me, and he chooses to love me and his love is changing me. It's not leaving me in my sin doing whatever I want to do. He's changing me because he loves me. This is upside down living. So Paul opens this verse nine with a therefore. Okay, so the graphic is gonna come on the screen. You have it there, and if you're like me, you have to find in your, in your copy there, you have to find some readers to magnify that, but that's okay, all right? I just still wanted you to have it, and I want you to take it uh, with you that, that we're gonna just momentarily, we just, that this whole down and up, that humility to exaltation, that Jesus Christ is eternal. So we see at the beginning his pre-incarnate glory, and then he, what Luther said, sunk himself into our flesh. And then the earthly life, he lived those, those 33 years. He lived a perfect life. It just doesn't, we just don't skip right to the cross. He lived those decades of perfect obedience. He experienced all that we experience. Joseph is missing. When Jesus is on the cross, he puts his mother into the care of John. So he experienced the loss of a loved one. He went through all of that like we go through. He was crucified and that is at the low point. That is at the low point. And this is where some religious traditions leave Jesus. They leave him forever as a little helpless baby in a manger. Pictures everywhere, all over religious buildings. Jesus is a baby. Poor little Jesus, he's a baby. He needs our help. No. No, he does not. Or they, they leave him on a cross, forever emblemized, ever put in as an emblem that there he is, he's suffering and suffering and suffering. No, 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 no. He's no longer little baby Jesus to be mocked and ridiculed and used at expense of people thinking I'm over him. He's no longer on a cross perpetually suffering for our sin. 
No, the whole book of Hebrews says once he suffered. And then he was buried, and then he rose again. And so he doesn't stay in that point. Paul doesn't stay here. He says, therefore. And so here he was resurrected, and then he ascended, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again, and we will join him, and we will reign with him in eternal glory, all who have turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus. We will share in his glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. This is where it's going. This is the story of scripture. So every good book, every good movie that talks about redemption and rescue, it's all borrowed from the greatest story. Where does it all come from? It comes from our longing to be rescued. Everybody loves to see the video of a baby pulled out days after the, the earthquake happened. And the whole village cheers. They found the baby alive. Why? Because every life matters. Preborn to elderly, every phase, every disability, every disease, life is precious, and therefore we will stand for life because we're made in the image of God. No matter what we struggle with, we have intrinsic value. Jesus is guaranteed to overcome He's the only sure thing. What else can you say is a sure thing? How many people, how many people bet on the Super Bowl? Oh, I think this will happen. I think that'll happen. And I'm gonna put money on it, but I don't know what's gonna happen. Well, the Bible's pretty strong on, on gambling, on, on wagering like that. It's not good stewardship. Why? because you're trying to receive an increase through chance rather than through work, which is really fueled by greed, covetousness, and lust. And the person that's placing the wager doesn't fully know what the outcome will be, so it's a gamble. I don't know what'll happen, it might happen. But when it comes to the person and the work of Jesus, it's not a gamble. It's a guarantee. And so Corey stood behind this pulpit with Focus Missions and said, why wouldn't you throw it all in there? Why wouldn't you go all in with something that's guaranteed? I will build my church is what Jesus said. Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, he said this to Peter, I tell you, little pebble, on this boulder, okay? They're, they're, Jesus is doing something with these words. Hey, little rock, on this boulder, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a guarantee. So when we invest our lives into the cause of Christ, there's no gamble here. This is glorious because it's, a, it's, the, it's the way we keep our lives is by losing it to Christ. That's how we keep it. So in light of all of this overwhelming gospel truth, then let's unpack what Paul is getting at this morning in this text. What has the Father done for Jesus? What has the Father done for Jesus? And that's why Paul says, therefore. So he went down in humil humiliation to the cross, but he didn't stay there. Therefore, Paul moves into the Father elevated Jesus to the highest place. The Father elevated Jesus to the highest place. He was humbled once. The greatest of all became the servant of all. 
And Jesus said, Matthew 23 and verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be, what is it? Exalted. So can I ask you this morning, are you exalting self or humbling yourself? Because whoever humbles themselves before the Lord will be exalted. Whoever says, I'm not that bad. I've always tried to do. I think I'm not as bad as them. I've tried. I'm, it's exalting self. And none of us are perfect. None of us are without sin. So the half-brother of Jesus wrote in James 4.10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Get low before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is a countercultural message because the people who are invited to the best of the best, they're the top. The red carpet is rolled out for them. The problem is, is they will die like the rest of us and their money cannot redeem them and cannot wash away one sin. It's too costly, the Old Testament says, redemption is. So then Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. It's anthropomorphism is what it is. It's God is, is invisible, but his arm is what saves. But if we humble ourselves under that arm, then he will lift us up. And Jesus said, uh, you know, he is the stone. He's the rock. You fall on him. You humble yourself and you cry out to him. You repent on him like a, like a sacrifice placed on the altar. And that's where you find life. But if you stumble at him, you say, no, do you know who I am? Do you know what I think? Do you know what I've done? I have this and I have that. And I think this and I think the other. And you don't humble yourself before the Lord. Then Jesus said that rock will crush you. That's what Peter's saying. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, here's where all the prosperity gospel preachers that fill the bookshelves and fill the internet, that's where they go wrong, is they proclaim and they profess to know when the proper time is for you. And it's always now. And if you don't have it yet, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's because you this, you that, but listen to me and listen to what they have and they will somehow fill you in and they're the missing link of how you can be exalted now. Problem? That's not what the scripture says. They chopped Paul's head off. And I would profess to say, I think he had a lot of faith. And he died for the cause of Christ. But where is he now? Oh, he's exalted with Christ. He humbled himself, and at the proper time, he will lift you up. Well, now Christ is super eminently exalted forever. Okay? He's exalted far above, Paul says. Far above. Not just above. He's over and above all else. And this was the primary message of the early church. This was the primary me message of the Reformation. There's no human being that can exalt themselves, you know, put themselves up onto some throne, some pedestal that they're above. No, it's Jesus who is over all. Not any human being. This Christ-centered message is the unchanging message for us today. And it will be for every generation that is to come after us. 
In Acts chapter 2, if you can turn there, it will come on the screen. Acts chapter 2, this is the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. There'll be a few texts that we'll go to this morning. You can just see them there um, in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, I will not read the entire message of Peter, but I want us to just listen into this message. The first message after the Spirit came, the crowd was gathered, and what did Peter preach about after the coming of the Holy Spirit? Verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, okay, it's a Christ-centered message, delivered up, now look at what he says here, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So who crucified Jesus? Peter says God did. Well, then it wasn't our fault. Well, look at what Peter continues with. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Of lawless men. God is sovereign over the crucifixion. He's sovereign over the suffering servant. We saw that crushed, bruised for our iniquities we saw in Isaiah 53. Verse 24, what happened then? God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So what Peter is doing, he's taking the, the, the Israelite people that day of Pentecost and he's going to the Old Testament that they knew well and he's applying it to Jesus. It's an expositional message. He's saying, do you remember what you've read and what you've memorized? It was Jesus. Oh, we always thought that that was David. Well, it was David. But David didn't fully fulfill that. He died, remember? His tomb is over there, he could have said. Go visit his tomb. He's still there. The bones are still there. There's another tomb that's empty. And it's the son of David. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God sworn, had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. How many days was he in the grave? Only three. He was raised to life on the third day. So this Jesus, verse 32, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out on this day that yourselves, you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, Messiah. That's the word Messiah. This Jesus 
whom you crucified. Okay, so he's took the, he took the whole Old Testament and he brought it down and said, you murdered Messiah. That's not a seeker-friendly message. That isn't polling the people to hear, well, what, what are you coming to hear today? This is just taking the truth of the word of God and lovingly, truthfully, boldly, graciously saying, do you understand the blood is on your hands, you vile sinners? Now, when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, whose sovereign in salvation God is. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They heard the message, they heard the gospel about Jesus Christ, a Christ-centered message. They were convicted in their hearts. They said, what are we supposed to do? Repent and obey Jesus. And they said, all in, 3,000. What about you? Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you followed him and publicly identified with him through the waters of baptism? We're doing that next Sunday. Amen, Amen. hallelujah, right? Ephesians 4.10 then, Paul, who came to know this Jesus, he said, he, Jesus, who descended, okay, to earth and to death, is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Oh, this Jesus that Jesus that Peter preached, he ascended far above all things. So do you see, loved ones, the way that God sees Jesus? Do you see Jesus that way? The way that God sees Jesus, the way the apostles saw Jesus, is that how you view Jesus? Is that how I view Jesus? The Father elevated Jesus to the highest place, exalted far above and exalted forever. Then the next thing the Father did for Jesus is the Father bestowed upon Jesus the highest name. The highest name. What's the value of having a good name? When a name gets ruined, Nobody wants anything to do with that name anymore. It has to do with dignity. It has to do with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, far above all others. His name represents him, his character, his nature, all that he has done, all that he's doing, all that he will do. It's Jesus, this name was bestowed upon Jesus. The designation Lord, is, is the, the word is kurios, and it refers to a master, a ruler. And it rightful, rightfully belongs to Jesus Messiah as the second person of the triune God. He is Lord. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, the Old Testament. I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Okay, so there are some false religions that take that verse and say, oh, no, 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 see, just God is one. 
And Jesus claiming to be God, oh, he, he ought not do that because he's not. Because right there's the Old Testament that the Lord, that is my name. I'm not sharing my glory with anyone else. The supremacy of the Lord. We'll come back to how the church views and has always viewed the identity and person of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Psalm 29.1, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Okay, so far above. All heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. But ascribe is really a better word because when we say the word give, it sounds like, hey, Dad, can you give me? I'm going, can you, get, you have $20, can you give me? You, I don't have it, and if you give it to me, I'll have it. That, that it almost can think that, well, Jesus didn't have it, but if we give it to him, no, 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 ascribe it to him that it's rightful that we say he has it. Ascribe, Psalm 29, 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Psalm 96, 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Who is invited? It's everybody. We're all made in his image. This message has to go to all peoples. And there's an invitation, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Psalm 96, 8, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. And look what happens. Bring an offering and come into his courts. You hear the invitation? What does he need from me? Nothing. But that he would accept. Can you imagine a child working hard on the little gift and the little craft, and then they bring it to the parent? Look, I made this for you. Oh, listen, I can buy way better than that on Amazon, much cheaper. And everyone around would go, oh, thanks, Dad. That he would receive from us our worship, our singing, our giving, our serving. It's not because he's lacking. It's a glorious thing that he delights in using broken people, that he's healed and is healing. So Paul here emphasized this glorious title, Lord, Christ is Lord, com combined with the name that expressed God's means of our salvation. The name is Jesus. You remember when the angel came and said, Joseph, you're going to name this child that Mary is pregnant with. It's not yours. Matthew 1.21, the virgin, Mary, she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus. That Old Testament name, Joshua. The Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. This is his humanity. Acts 4.11, Peter and John, they, they would be persecuted and imprisoned for preaching this message. This message would, would cost them. And he says, this Jesus, Acts 4.11, is the stone that was rejected by you. Sounds like his message in Acts 2, doesn't it? The builders, which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, and there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name among, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's one name. And Peter is preaching what that name is. It's Jesus. He is the one who saves so the early church proclaimed the true person and power of Jesus Christ. 
his true identity and his authority. It empowered them to be bold. And in Acts chapter 4, uh, you might want to turn there. Acts chapter 4, there are persecuted for that message. They're imprisoned, and then they come back, and, and all they have to do, and this will, this will be happening more and more in the world that we live in, is you can gather as a church. You know, governments won't have any trouble with you nice people gathering. But if you say that there's only one who saves... If you say that there's only God's way and there's not just countless ways to God, then we will regard that as hate speech and we'll view you as terrorists because you're being exclusive. Well, the early church met with that and this is how they prayed, Acts 4.23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. All they said is, we just got to tone it down. Just don't talk about Jesus. Oh, okay. No, they didn't say that. And when they heard it, they heard it. They lifted their voices together to, where'd they go? God. And said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who brought through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, Messiah, his anointed. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Who crucified Jesus? There's the list. Well, who is behind and sovereign over it all? Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you understand the comfort and the encouragement that they took realizing that every drop of blood, every whip, every whipping, every beating, every bit of hair pulled out of Jesus Messiah's face and head and the crown of thorns all had to come through the permission and the ordination of the Father. And they knew that was all permitted for us. This was no surprise attack. This was planned by God for us. So are they going to back down now? They've been changed by this love. They have seen this love bloodied and buried and alive again. And now the only thing that they're being told is, hey, could you just not talk about Jesus? No chance. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued. What was the answer to their prayer? They continued to speak the word of God with no fear. 
They didn't go out of there angry, but they were bold, with boldness. So much so that one man named Saul who hated them and hated their message in Acts 9.5, that when Jesus knocked Saul off his beast on the ground, blinded him, when Paul cries out, he says, and he said, this is Saul speaking from the ground, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm the one you hate. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul could say, I, I've never even met you, Jesus. But the Lord Jesus so identifies with his people that when they're persecuted, when they're gossiped about, when they're not loved as they should be, when they're not forgiven as they should be, do you know who takes it personally? Jesus does. I've said it before. Like, If somebody comes and they say, you know, Hey, Ginger, we really love you. You're amazing. Your husband, you know, we really can't stand him. No, we're, we're one. Oh, but, but I'm good with you? Oh, okay. All right, good. I was just wondering. You're my friend, right? Jesus says, you persecute my people. You're persecuting me, Saul. Oh, and he would change him radically. Let her see. The father then guaranteed that Jesus will receive the highest praise. This is a guarantee. This is no, well, we'll see if we can get this done. This is an absolute guarantee. This is where everything in all of creation is going, that Jesus will be praised. And so Paul writes, verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow before Jesus. Everyone will confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. The worship will be freely expressed by believers, those who are followers of Christ in this lifetime or submission will be forcefully ex exacted from unbelievers in the time that is to come, and that is for every unbeliever. Hitler, Stalin, all dictators through history, dictators that are alive right now that think that there is nobody that can tell them what to do, they will bow. Every person that is filled with their own glory, their own agenda, themselves, they will bow. It's not a matter of if people will bow, it's when will you bow. You bow in this lifetime, oh, and he'll, he'll redeem you. If you die without Christ, you will bow. But it will be too late. Every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus. The posture of bowing is one of humility, it's reverence. You only bow to someone who's worthy. You only bow to someone that you're showing honor to. Isaiah chapter 45. Listen to what the prophet said. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 21. Said, Declare and present your case and let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? 
and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. Okay, so look at that. The Old Testament, God, God is Savior. God is going to save us, but, but God is a spirit. How, how will he die on a cross? If God is a Savior, how is he going to save us? There is none besides me. So he gives the invitation, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. This is for all peoples. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. And this is the word, Old Testament. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And all Jewish people would say, oh, that's, that's Jehovah. That's Yahweh. He is God. And of course, everyone will bow to him. And then Paul is writing in the New Testament, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We've heard this before. Exactly. Because if God is going to redeem a people, he must be one of those people. He must be human. So we absolutely believe that Jesus is God and that Jesus became flesh, the incarnation. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. And Paul says, and this is all of the angelic beings, all of the heavenly angels, all of those beings, the seraphim, all of them, they will confess Jesus is Lord. All things in the earth, they will confess Jesus is Lord. doesn't matter who you are or what your income is or what your worth is, how long you live, everyone will confess Jesus is Lord. Have you confessed that? And then he says everything under the earth. So heaven, earth, and hell, everyone who has died will stand before the Lord either in a righteous relationship because of Jesus the Lamb slain for them or they will stand to be judged and they will confess Jesus is Lord. This is, this is the idea of when a conqueror comes back from battle and there's the conquered enemies and they come and they stand on the neck of their enemy to the glory of the empire, your enemy is under my foot. Glory to the king, glory to the empire. And this is, here's his crown to be put at your feet. And the, here we see that it will be all people will confess that he is Lord. Now in the first century, this is a shocker because they all were used to hearing Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And suddenly there's these, there's these group of followers of Christ, and they're saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. How, how did they get to there? This is a shocker. This is, this is, could be regarded almost as treason, like you're terrorists. And they would end up persecuting him that way, and they would throw thousands of them to their death before watching crowds, watching Christians die, and it didn't dampen it out. It didn't stamp it out. It just crushed it, and the perfume kept filling kept filling the regions of the fragrance of the gospel of Christ. It was a first century shocker. And the false converts make mockery of this because they also say Jesus is Lord. Oh, I, I said Jesus is Lord. Remember, I, I prayed that back at camp. I did that back here. I, I said that once in my life. I, I said Jesus is Lord. But they make a mockery of it. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, this is some of the most shocking words from Jesus. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Okay, they've got, they've got the language down. Lord, Lord. I'm talking about Jesus, of course. Who else would I be talking about? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Doesn't that sound like my sheep hear my voice and they follow me? It isn't that I checked the box, okay? I believe Jesus. I checked the box. Now back to my life. And here's what I want. And there's the other thing. And here I go. I just do what I want to do. I, I'm really building my own kingdom. That kingdom will fall. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then here is the sad and shocking word from Jesus. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You were all about you. You weren't about me. You misused my name. You abused people in my name. You took my name and exploited people. You, that's not my name. That's not my dignity. That's not my character. You made a mockery of my name with your life. How dare you say, Lord, Lord? And they will be sentenced. And will be, they will say, Lord, Lord, but it's not to their rescue and deliverance. It's to their damnation forever and ever and ever in a place called hell. This is shocking. Loved ones, there's no conversion apart from confessing Jesus as king, lord, sovereign. Do we perfectly obey him? No, but we want to. And we live in community with other believers that help encourage us and pray with us and go through our good times and our bad times to say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And repent and fix your eyes on Jesus. We're the, re we're the repenting ones, the confessing ones. Listen to what Steve Lawson says. He says, at the moment of their conversion, everyone who truly believes confesses the lordship of Christ. No one steps through the narrow gate leading to life unless they surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you the question? Is that you? Does that describe you? Have you come through that narrow gate and confessed Jesus as Lord, Master? Romans 10, Paul says, writing to his countrymen. He was so moved. He so wanted them to see Jesus for who he was. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. You hear all these messages. You hear all these sermons. They're so close to knowing all about Jesus, and yet they don't know him. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's it, I just have to say that, Jesus is Lord and I'm good to go. No, there's connection to your heart and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you're gonna say the same thing about Jesus that God says. That's what confession is, loved ones. To say the same thing about my sin that God says. That's when we are real with God. Verse 10. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You won't be let down. You won't be disappointed. Verse 12, for there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. This is the same message. Everywhere you go, it's the same message. It's the same Lord. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, say it with me, read it with me, will be saved. Have you done that? How have you responded to Jesus? 
because the Father will be glorified in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the people who belong to Jesus, we will enjoy this glory. Jesus' life was devoted to serving, to the glory of his Father. It wasn't about his will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus prayed for the unity of his people. And I want you to go to John chapter 17. We saw last week that he came unto his own and his own received him not, just as Isaiah said it would be. And here on the night when Jesus is facing the cross, his own death, not for his sin, but for mine and for yours, what is he praying? What is he talking about? What is on his heart? What impact would this radical love have for his disciples, his people, and centuries to come? What happens and what was Jesus concerned about? What was he thinking about? What would he pray? And I want you to just have this in front of your eyes and I want you to read along just silently as I read aloud and listen to Jesus. We've said much about Jesus but this is the night when it counts. This is the night when he's gonna lay it all on the line for sinners. So what is he saying to his father? What's important to him? When Jesus had spoken these words, verse one, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the eternality of Christ. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in, the tru in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. So he's talking about his disciples, and they're right there, and they were with him, and they heard this message. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. You hear the equality of Jesus with the Father? And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. Do you hear where this prayer is going? Do you hear why it makes no sense when people who claim to be followers of Christ cannot forgive someone and they get offended over petty little things and Jesus' prayer on the night that he would be betrayed, 
It's focused on this is going somewhere that the glorious gospel will be adorned that they may be one. Even as we are one, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except Judas, the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That was no surprise either. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my, huh, isn't this what Paul is about here? My joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of suffering, persecution, trials, hardship, temptation. No, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but that you will keep them from the evil one, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. Verse 16, they, followers of Christ, his sheep, his children, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Well, where do we find truth? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not. Now listen to this because you're thinking, okay, so, so far he's talking about his guys and what's awaiting them. What about us? Well, you're right here in verse 20, and so am I, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be, what's the word? One. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you see where it's going? Do you see why it's important? that the world will believe that you have sent me. That's how powerful it is when Christians get along and they forgive one another and they aren't exactly like each other, but they love one another and they forgive one another and they show grace. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become huh, perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as, I, as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love which you had loved, you have loved me, may be in them and I in them. Do you see the importance, loved ones, of grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness? Because when the world is watching Christians, if they don't see this kind of love, then they never ask the question, what's different about you? How can you be so maligned and mistreated and still be gracious and kind? 
And the answer is never, well, I, uh, oh no, Jesus. It's always Jesus. He has been exalted to the highest place. He has been given the highest name and he's worthy from everyone, everywhere, for all time, the highest praise. Have you given it to him? Are you living in that way? Will you stand with me? Revelation chapter five, I want you to lean your ear into heaven this morning. I want you to listen to the song of the redeemed. It's already begun. They're already singing this and we're gonna join, those who know Christ, we're gonna join the chorus of the redeemed one, way, one day. Praise team, you go ahead and come. Listen to what they're saying. Saying with a loud voice, read it with me, all right? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard, verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, read it with me, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Has your voice been added to this? If not, today is the day of salvation for you to say, God, here I am. Step one, receive Christ. Step two, in the rest of your life, follow him. Starts with obedience through baptism and live out the rest of our lives together, growing in grace and growing in the love of Christ. Father, thank you. I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the gospel and I thank you that you take sinners and you make them sons and you take those who are enemies and you reconcile us and you make us friends. God, I thank you that you adopt the no-hopers, the, the ones that are unworthy of anything. That's me. And you loved me in spite of my sin and you came, Jesus, and you laid down your life so that I could go free and I could be part of your family forever and ever. And so, Father, we rejoice in you. And I ask that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who have never trusted in you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would surrender their life to you, admit their sin, believe in Jesus, and call out for his salvation. And you will hear, and you are ready to save, and you are able to save, and you will save them. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' wonderful and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.